another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 9 of the podcast for April 2015. Unfortunately, this month I was unable to produce an interview kind of style episode, so this month is going to be more of a filler, but uh, I do have some uh, content for this month's episode anyways to go ahead with it. Right now, I'm currently overseas, as I went to the United States for my first overseas holiday, so that's where I am at the moment, um, hence why I've recorded this podcast before I went away, so technically I've recorded this in the past, but you're getting it from the future, yeah, I mean, don't go all time time travel on me, so, and also because I'm going to USA, uh, one of the big reasons I'm actually going is to attend uh, Star Wars Celebration, which is occurring in uh, an Anaheim convention center from the 16th to the 19th of April. I actually have an extended interview with uh, Toby Philpott. Uh, when I interviewed him about several months ago, um, we basically chatted for a very long time, and um, when I released the episode, um, I decided to sort of shorten that episode just because of time. Um, I wasn't sure if, you know, having an interview or an episode that went for like an hour and a half or two hours long would uh, be a bit too much, so, and because um, I'm away for April, I thought I might as well just uh, include it as uh, bonus content for you guys. Um, yeah, so basically we talk about, um, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the Dark Crystal, as well as, um, the, all the work that he, um, went from there on with, um, Return of the Jedi, puppeteering, um, uh, Jabba the Hutt, uh, Labyrinth, and, um, several other things as well. So I'll just play that for you right now. You know, you went from Dark Crystal to Star Wars, and you puppeteered, um, Jabba. What, what, what aspect of, um, Jabba did you, um, puppeteer, like, yeah, no, I'm I'm basically the left hand, the head and body movements and the tongue. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave Barkley is the right hand and the mouth and was doing the dialogue on the set. Yes, yeah. So um, for a while, everyone was trying to get the job because although it was called Blue Harvest, everyone knew secretly it was the next Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know how to hustle. I don't hustle. I, I didn't know how to try and get a job in the movies. Yeah. Um, people had all kinds of ways of trying to do it. And I just got called in one day by, by a bloke with a cigar in an office saying, you know, we'd like you to play this part. And for a while, I was flattered that I thought, oh, they've, they've talent spotted me, you know, that I'm so good at this yes, yeah. off Dark Crystal that I've got the job. It turned out that what had actually happened, that they'd picked David Barkley to be the lead puppeteer for Jabba. Okay. But he didn't have a, an actor's equity card. Oh, right, yeah. And... The Muppets didn't because they were Americans. But if you have a specific talent, you don't need to have an equity card. But if an equity member could do the job, Mm -hmm. then you can't do it. So I didn't realise that all this film politicking, if they just called me in and said, do you mind working with a non-union person? I would have gone, no, of course not. But actually, they did all this thing about, do you know know any other puppeteers you want to work with? And I called in a couple of other guys. They went, yeah, they're good. We'll give them work, but not that. 
Mm. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is the lead puppeteer yeah. is the one who does the voice, voice basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, learns the lines and does the dialogue. So I am actually the co-pilot in that sense. Yeah. That, uh, of course, eventually all David's careful work got dubbed over and his voice isn't on it. So yeah. there you go. That's, that's the film business for you. <laughs> Um, uh, when when he was doing the dialogue on set, um, I mean, was that in in the, the Alien Creature, or was it actually doing it in English? But you know, just yeah, he was doing it in English with a okay, microphone yeah. and speakers on set, so mm-hmm. he's acting with the actors. Mm-hmm. So Jabber is actually talking. Ho 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 ho! Where's my talk droid? But it's we're a, it's a two man puppet, so it's like a two man submarine, and uh, I'm doing the left hand with my inside hand. I'm moving the head about, um, my hands inside the tongue, and by swinging my body about on this kind of revolving chair, I'm moving the body. Now, he doesn't move a lot. This thing about overacting is very true of Jabba because he's a hard shell in airbags and then latex skin. To get anything out of him, you have to be working like this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. bouncing around inside there. Um, and we had to coordinate. The hands can't quite reach each other. So uh, if we had to pull the dancing girl's chain, we'd have to work out ways to do it. You know, we'd go and practice and then do it inside. But essentially, um, the reason I'm proud of him and don't just feel like a spare part like I do with Jim Henson's characters mm. was that uh, I get all the actions because the left hand is free to play the right hand's over the body. So I get all the moves. I hit C-3PO, I grab Bib <laughs> Fortuna, I eat Frog, I smoke the pipe. Yeah. So Jabba's basically left-handed. Yeah. So I get, all, most, I get most of the actions and uh, David did all the talking. Oh, cool. But we also had a third guy, uh, one of the little guys, a Time Bandit guy, yeah. Um, behind us, when in a wide shot, he's in there to do the tail. So then there's yeah. three of us inside, and then there's one or two people outside with radio controls doing the eyes. So the guy on eyes, who was usually John Coppinger, the sculptor, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who actually made Jabba, mm-hmm. he would be out there talking to the director and the cameraman and so on, as ne- if necessary, um, because he could actually see the performance. Yeah, so sure. the director would talk to us. Uh, and ask us to do certain things and then leave us alone and we would practice a bit with John telling us what it looked like and, you know, bigger, smaller, you know. Um, so he was not only controlling the eyes but directing. And, of course, because I'm moving the head, I have to talk to him about the eyes because if you turn your head and your eyes go with it, it means something different. If you turn your head and leave the eyes behind, it means something. If you turn the eyes but don't move the head, it means something else. Yeah. And you have to work that stuff out between you They're talking and getting yeah. get, getting the rhythm and choreographing it mm. um and just little subtle things that we'd learnt off dark crystal this is why dark crystal was important to me yes yeah, sure. we had we'd already figured this stuff out about these characters uh the two things that bring puppets to life are breathing mm. and blinking yeah. now i know they're slightly humanoid things and we, we were getting away from humans but if you just have staring eyes uh, it goes dead very quickly. Yes, yeah. At the same time, you don't blink. Blinking means something. If you blink a lot, mm. I've got glasses on. Yeah. But if you blink a lot, it's kind of nervous or whatever. Yeah. If you if you if you stare at someone, it's angry and so on, and you don't blink, you know. Yeah. But in general, you blink when you're moving ahead because you, just naturally that's what you do. When when your eyes are yeah when your eyes are fuzzy, your body takes the chance to blink. And if you turn your head, you'll blink on the way round. So you've got, you've, you've got to time the blink and the, and the eye movements with the head. So there was a lot of practice. We would just stay in, in Jabba, in character all day, so even when we weren't shooting. Yeah. We'd be practicing. Um, and the trick that we had, which we also got from the Hensons, was 
you, we say to the director, don't say, Toby, can you move the left hand? Uh, David, can you, you know, we said, mm. talk to Jabba as an actor. It's yeah. as though you've got Marlon Brando on the set. Talk to him because when we answer, we're practicing. We're practicing the gestures, we're practicing the voice. Yeah. Um, and it, it means the illusion stays so that when Princess Leia is, is acting with yeah, yeah. Jabba, it's treating him like a real, real. person, yeah, not yeah. like a special. And that really works. And that really, really does work. So it gets to the point where Richard Marquand, who's directing, mm. would say to us, uh, Jabba, could you look that way? Mm-hmm. And we go, we can't see you. You know, he's, he's pointing because he thinks he, he thinks oh, this right, creature's yeah. looking at him. Yes. <laughs> and we're actually looking blind. We've only got little <laughs> monitors, old-fashioned yeah. monitors, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's when you know you fool the when when people start talking to the puppet as though it's real. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know you've made it, and all of that comes from the the, the, the Muppets. I mean, I've seen Jim Henson on a talk show with Kermit, mm. who is just a green sock with two ping pong balls on, basically. Yeah, yeah. And two wires on his hands. There's no real magic to that. Mm. And yet the interviewer will talk to Kermit, and mm. Jim's not even a ventriloquist. His mouth's moving, you know. Yeah. But really good puppetry completely fools you. Your brain just wants to talk to the puppet. And it's one of the reasons puppets are such great things when you're working with kids, is because shy kids who wouldn't talk to you will talk to a puppet and play with it. Yeah, it's yeah. Something odd that the human brain does. Yeah, you know? the imagination, yeah, so yeah. You can see why the Dark Crystal was crucial for me. Mm. You know, I, I'd done six months of this stuff, mm. of what looks good on film and how you bring it to life and and all that. And Dave Barclay's a he's a professional puppeteer, whereas I, like I say, I was bluffing slightly. Yeah. Um, his family knew my family as kids, but he'd always been made, he'd made puppets and performed puppets all his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and still does, you know, I mean, uh, he, he does, he lives in Los Angeles and he does special effect things. So, um, I think in cats and dogs, for instance, he made a, a matching dog. So they had a live dog for lots of the shots, but there are mm-hmm. some shots where the dog looks around the corner or speaks or whatever it does, mm-hmm. uh, where it's hard to get a dog to do it. And he actually met handmade, you know, a dummy dog that looks exactly like the real dog. That's yeah. how talented he is. Wow. So he's seriously dedicated to it. And uh, I'm glad he picked me as a sidekick. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> he was the Lone Ranger and I was Tonto, definitely. You know, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> yeah. or whatever, the, the modern equivalent, Batman and Robin. You yeah. know, I <laughs> and, and I guess like the whole thing with um, puppetry, sort of, I guess the, the equivalent of it today, you know, with, with films and that has sort of been motion capture. Um, what, what's mm-hmm. been your take on, on the whole motion capture? Um, you know, that sort of, evolved. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Well, I'd love to do that. That is a form of puppetry to me. That, that's, uh, that crosses that line between puppetry and animation and mime. I'd love to have a go at that. Yeah. Mike Quinn, who's one of the puppeteers from that period went on into doing that. He worked for Pixar and, and, and people yeah. like that. Um, I, I, I'm not a great fan of CGI itself, pure yeah. um, computer graphics. Yes, yeah. To me, it's a it's a nice supplement. Mm. Like on Jurassic Park, for instance, CGI is very yeah, subtly it used. Is, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. And it, and I it never it never stops me to go. Oh, I know that's done. Or or jars in any way, because they're using some real models. Yes. Like yeah. you know, I mean, I, I think um, I think there's a live dinosaur that looks in the taxi. It's a live head, yes, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, the velociraptors, when they come over the hill, I mean, you know they're not puppets and they're not real. And yet it's so well done and it's it's the shock value of it works on you mm. long enough to be startled. And by the time you want to look at it more closely, 
it's gone. You know? Yeah. Now nowadays we can all action replay and all that, but at the time I went to see that's a perfect use of it is when it doesn't jump. Now when I watched the the more recent Star Wars uh, films, it's just too much CGI. I, I look mm -hmm. at it, the, the gravity doesn't work. I don't believe they've got three million clone troopers. You know, I just yes, yeah. my brain just goes. It's a, it's a it's like a computer game. It doesn't mm -hmm. look real to me. Um, and I've nothing really against animation as its own art form. No. Because, for instance, I worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. although we were there weren't any puppets there, we're doing all the moves of the real props yeah, that sure. the cartoons and puppets will be added to. But um, so you know, I, I love that, and that that was hand painted, like in the old Disney style, every frame hand painted. Uh, and there's a different quality to that from computer graphics. And I know Pixar is getting better and better, and you know, sooner or later they're going to be able to have real actors done that way, and they bring back Marion Monroe or whatever they do. <laughs> but at the moment, I'm not convinced. I, I watch it and I don't really buy it. Um, you know, Jabber in the Phantom Menace, the yeah, sculpt isn't no. too bad, but yeah. he's he's isolated. He's not interacting. He's, he doesn't look sweaty. He doesn't no. look heavy. Yeah, he doesn't look scary. He looks like a cartoon. Um, whereas when when we're when we're wiggling the tongue at Princess Leia, she's definitely going. Ugh, yeah, get yeah, off. yeah, really it's, reacting it's, to it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not a green screen in a room with her pretending. Yeah. Um, and and that was, I guess, the thing with the um, I guess, with the special edition of A New Hope, uh, with the Jabba saying that it took him at least like three, I think, like three revisions to try and get try and get that animation yeah, right, well, that, but still. <laughs> Yeah, animation on New Hope was so ugly. I couldn't believe it. It just didn't look at all like the the sculpt. Yeah, um, it was very disappointing. I mean, again, they can redo it, of course, as as oh, technology yeah, gets yeah. better. But um, my only fear would be that they would go to Return of the Jedi and to match it up now, graphic over us, because they've already changed the the song. You know, the the song by the band and Cy Snoodles and all that. Oh yes, yeah. You know, they've yes. they've remixed that. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's George's to play with. There's nothing I can do about it. But no, no. I, I, you know, I, I, I just think you can't match really that mm. a three-dimensional creature. It's yeah. just uh, you can't do that. Either. So yeah, the motion captures motion captures interesting because it's somewhere in between that. It's not quite CGI. No, because you've actually got a live performance behind it. Mm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it keeps improving and. The funny thing is, one of the I was sitting with John Coppinger one day, who, as I say, sculpted Jabba. Um, we were at a convention, and people were saying, "Well, you know, uh, uh, do you think CGI will ever get that good that you would be happy with it in yeah. the future?" And John said something interesting. He said, "Well, you, you know, you're assuming that we're going to keep on going down that route, whereas actually, um, they're beginning to make robots that can walk upstairs and do things now. Mm. In twenty years' time, you shouldn't think of." 20 years better CGI they may well by then be motion capture robots or yeah, even yeah. real robots yeah that will be doing a live three-dimensional performance yeah um, you know you, you can't assume that we're going to follow the same route all the time because the stuff we worked on was it all experimental I was just lucky to be experimental in the, in the you know Dark Crystal and Roger Rabbit and uh, uh, Horrors were all st state-of-the-art experiments. They were trying what else could you do with mm. film and so on. And I, um, I think that certainly in 20 years' time from now, mm. we cannot quite imagine what they're going to be able to do. The next, yeah. um, I suspect they will go back to practical effects, but with much more sophisticated controls. Yes. Yeah, so I'm yeah. just giving an easy idea. 
uh, in one of the Muppet movies when Kermit's riding a bicycle and singing, mm. uh, we're up on a crane. I, I wasn't hired for this one, but it was part of the training for Doctor Who. We're up on a crane uh, with a marionette yeah. just to run the bicycle. We've got two strings for the bicycle. Yeah. And Jim Henson's sitting at the side doing the singing with Kermit on a radio-controlled head yes. that matches the head on the bike. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you see, because he can't be over there, obviously. No. Um, now, that was 1981 technology. Yeah. And that is 30 years ago. So the idea, it, there may well be three-dimensional um, yeah, beings yeah. Um, controlled from somewhere else. Um, in, in Labyrinth, Hoggle, for instance, is, is a, a radio-controlled head. Okay, yeah. It's just a small person walking around inside it, but Brian and a crew of a couple of other people are outside doing all the facial gestures and things. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't despair of, uh, of three-dimensional puppets. I just think they're going to be you know, significantly improved. And people do seem to like them. They do. Um, but I guess they can, you know, I guess with the actors, they can react to them compared to, you know, reacting to, yeah. a, to a blue screen creature that, you know, have no idea what yeah, it's going to yeah. look like, yeah. But even that technology might well change, you know. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, if you've got several people in motion capture, then they are actually reacting to each other mm. in the same room, you know, yes, if, if yeah. you were fighting, for instance. So you're not always in an empty room. I mean, all of these mm. things are going to move on and, and, and change. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, uh, because of, one of my hobbies is magic, I actually kind of... I'm not that. I'm not a purist about puppetry. You know, okay, it's yeah. it's a technique and it's useful when it's useful, and um, anything else can complement it. Uh, in my eyes, I just prefer CGI when I don't notice it. That's what I'm trying to say. Is used as a little special effect thing to do something, and you know, or to do a stuntman move that couldn't be done for real. Uh, okay, but they get carried away with it, and then they do impossible things, and then your brain goes, "No, that doesn't. Yeah, that's not." You know, uh, you'd think actually 32 feet per second squared, you know, like gravity would be easy, but I don't, I don't buy gravity in the CGI quite a lot because there's no weight in it. Like I said, Jabba doesn't look heavy. He doesn't look solid. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but all of those things will be improved. It just depends on the budget half the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The budget. Yeah. Yeah. With that, how the money and imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and, that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess, like, um, um, what has been your thoughts, like, you know, with, I guess, um, with fans um, sort of, you know, approach you at conventions um, about the Dark Crystal? Well, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I think it, it'll remain as a showcase of what can be done. Yeah. Um, uh, it has its own, you know, I think it has, a, it has, it has legs. For a film that wasn't, I mean, even Labyrinth wasn't that successful at the time but then i think it opened the same year as et for instance i mean sometimes you can just be unlucky with a film you just you know uh, a different film grabs the public's attention and steals the limelight and all that um yeah i was just saying it seems like yeah 1982 seemed like the year that a lot of like good movies come out like et the dark crystal and and blade runner yeah. and <laughs> list sort of goes on yeah well now, now we've got a, a such a library you know when i was a kid before video and stuff like that, you'd see something in the cinema, and if you really liked it and you want to see it again, you're going to have to go around to cinemas and catch it. Once we brought all this stuff home on videos and eventually on DVDs, we have a bottomless pit. So 
two things can happen. You end up you, you end up with a film in the you might even have bought it and have it in the cupboard, but you don't watch it because you've got so much new stuff coming in. Or the other way around, you can have fans that go, I've watched it a hundred times. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've only watched it two or three times myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got other things to do, I've got books and things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not against people uh, having a favourite thing. You know, I, yeah. I've got TV shows I like, and uh, it's everyone's taste, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. But the, the thing is, we can now have at our fingertips just about anything we want. I mean, even just off YouTube. Yeah. And you've only got so much time to watch things or to listen to music or to read books or whatever. Um, so each to their own, you know. I, mm. I have I have movies that when they come on TV I would always watch. I mean, for instance, one of my favourite comedy sci-fi, which is a very hard uh, combination, yeah. is Galaxy Quest. Ah, yes, because yeah, it, yeah. it not That's only right, sends yeah. up the convention circuit that we yes, do, yeah. it also sends up Star Trek. Yes, yeah. and then it's so beautifully scripted. It sends up how silly Star Trek is. Then it makes it real and yeah. scary, and then the fans who are nerds and geeks at the beginning turn out to be the heroes because. You know, and yeah. that's just a beautifully crafted film, and I yeah. I can watch it every any time it comes up, I, I watch it. And I haven't bought it on DVD. It's just whenever I see it coming, TV, I go, "Oh, yeah. that's that's always good value." You know, yeah, yeah, makes that, me laugh every time. It does, yeah. I mean, I, I've watched it a couple of times as well, like on the Blu-ray, and yeah, it's it's pretty funny. And I, I I guess I find it funny that um a lot of Star Trek fans like consider it as a favorite Star Trek film. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very respectful. You know, it's yeah. a very. Uh, it's it's it, it's funny and also respectful of, yes, of the thing. It's a very kind tease of mm. the show, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I, as I say, comedy sci-fi is hard. Um, another one I like is a real B movie is Dark Star, which is John Carpenter's film. You know, it was made mm. as a student film and then they amped it up a bit. But it, again, it's it's just one of those ones I can watch over and over again. It makes me laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I like comedy. You can probably pick that yeah. more than scary. I, I don't do vampires and 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 uh, you know, I'm not yeah. a horror movie person at all. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a yeah like sci-fi fantasy. Um, like yeah, I mean I like comedy, but comedy when it's I guess done right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't watch yeah. a lot of comedy. That's why I'm saying yeah. sci-fi comedy. It's really hard. Sci-fi comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a difficult mixture. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Sci-fi tends to take itself seriously, doesn't it? It it's, does. Yeah. Yeah part of the thing you've got times yeah yeah um but i don't think you see dark crystal doesn't really fit into a genre does it there aren't that many films like that no no it really is its own genre yeah yeah i was just thinking just imagine if it was a video store and just had like a dark crystal set you know its own section it's just like just the one movie (laughs) i mean some of the effects they you know they've used on things like Lord of the Rings, but again, that takes itself too seriously for me. I, I'm not, uh, that's not my thing. I didn't like the book, though, you see, so I, okay, unlike yeah. most people. Uh, it was, <laughs> I don't know, it didn't grab me. Okay, um, yeah. But no, but you see, this is the thing. It, it, finally, it's a matter of taste, isn't it? Um, I, I read a really wonderful book called The Neverending Story, and there was a sort of a B-movie made of that as a film, yeah. but they just didn't have the budget to do the, the dragon and the puppets as well as I would have liked to match my imagination. Some things that I've, you know, read in a book is such a great movie in my head. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make a movie to match it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comes into that category. I, yeah. Initially, it was a radio show yes, and it, yeah. all the pictures were in my head. And then it was a book and all the pictures in my head. So by the time they got around to the film, I was kind of disappointed, really. Okay, yeah. 
It's slightly disappointing. I mean, yeah, yeah. The TV show was done like a B movie, and it was hilarious. Yeah. So there you go. You can sometimes spend more money and not come out with such a good product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just varies, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm wandering off the subject now. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Um, I'm just trying to think. um, Was there any? Was there anything else we wanted to talk about regards to Dark Crystal or any kind of? topic that i'm just trying to think to for the interview or um well i mean there's all sorts of little kind of you know bits and pieces about how it was done or or or, yeah or the characters involved you know behind the scenes there were quite a few eccentric uh, characters building the sculptures and so on and um i mean you see i I found it extraordinary to be working alongside Jim Henson just mm. because, yes, but yeah. also because he was not only performing but directing and running the whole Henson organization company. Yes. Um, and just give you a glimpse of that then. Uh, we were lying on a trolley once. We were doing a walking scene for Jen. There weren't any holes in the floor, so we were going to be lying on our backs with our arms up this way. And I'm just lying alongside this millionaire uh, creative genius, you know, uh, and we've got nothing to do. So, you know, I chat to him occasionally. I mostly left him to his own thoughts because he had probably millions of things to do. You yeah, know, going on. Yeah. We, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to just gossip, so I'd just be there patiently waiting. And a, a guy in a suit came up and said, Jim, sorry to bother you, but uh, we've got a problem in Los Angeles. And, and he started explaining it. And Jim was obviously, you know, busy in what he's doing. He went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you got your passport and your toothbrush with you? And the guy said, yeah. And he went, can you fly out and sort it out? And this guy wandered off. Uh, I was just gobsmacked. I was like, yeah. oh, what? So I did ask. I did say, uh, um, how, how do you manage all this stuff at once? And he said, well, I, I hire the best people I can get, and then I trust them to do the job. And I thought, well, I said, is it as easy as that? And he went, no, no, it was just that uh, the, the amount it costs to make a film, mm. if I don't make a decision, if I sit here and think for 10 minutes... It's just cost thousands of pounds. I make a decision like that and I ask them to go and deal with it and I trust them to come back to me if I've made the wrong decision and it isn't working as a solution and then they can come back to me. But, you know, to hesitate, uh, it just isn't worth it. Okay. So I thought, oh, what a lovely boss. <laughs> First of all, he's going to say, please do tell me if I've made the wrong decision. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, but go ahead and fix it if you can. Yeah. And... While we were in that little chat, this was the same day, so he said, you've got to understand when you're organising 200, 300 people like this, um, the way I act and the way, where, if I don't look confident, everyone's going to get nervous. And, and uh, you know, he said, if I come in the front door grumpy, the man at the gate's going to go, Jim's here on the walkie-talkie and he looks like he's in a bad mood and by the time he's bicycled into the set, yeah. everyone's going, whoa, like this, you know, because right? <laughs> there are directors like that, there are actors that like that but he you know he was just completely honest with me and he said so you know i'm not saying i'm never in a bad mood or i don't get grumpy about things but you know uh it's not worth my while doing that so i you know keeping the reputation as a mild-mannered gentle person who always knows what they're doing is yeah. worth its weight in gold right? yeah. <laughs> but actually hiring the hiring the talent and trusting them is the trick so that that isn't directly about dark crystal but it gives you a clear idea of why I wasn't terrified every morning to go in and be working alongside him. Yeah. Because he was just a really nice guy and a very good people manager and a very patient teacher. So, 
if you imagine that that's just me working with him on that that's the way he treated everybody all the builders uh, and the operators uh, just trusting people and, and hiring the best talent he could get and yeah. then getting the best out of them and that's why the film looks so terrific because every, oh, here's, here's a classic example mm. of this is really odd um, we were filming one day I can't remember what scene it was but we we couldn't quite get it and the unions normally shut the they pull the plugs as they say at six o'clock. Yes, gone. Yeah. You know, if you if you go over by a couple of minutes, they charge you another hour, and that's two hundred people charge you another hour's worth of money. Yeah. So this we we keep doing these takes, and we're just not quite getting it. It's like ten to six or something like that. They're resetting the lights, and they're going. Oh, if we start again in the morning, it'll take the whole morning getting back that's in the rhythm of it. Yeah. And Jim borrowed a megaphone off somebody. And he stood up and he turned around to everybody. And there's, there's 150 people. There. And he said, I'm really sorry, but because um, I really can't afford to go past six o'clock. I just can't afford mm-hmm. you know, the budget for this. But uh, you know and I know that we've nearly got this. So I really ask you as a favor, yeah. would, you, would you all volunteer to go for one more take? And everybody said yes. Yeah. That's everybody. Yeah. You know. um, they're not going to get paid for the extra 10 minutes. Oh. But they so want to get it right. Yes, yeah. Because um, if we could get it this evening, then tomorrow morning we can start on a whole new scene, and you know, and that's that's a real, real good boss, man. Because everybody said yes. No, nobody said we're going to tell the unions, we're going to sue you. Yeah. Everyone said let's just let's try and do it one more time. One time. Yeah. And get it right. Yeah. And we did, and we did. Yeah. You know, um, that atmosphere. I've never been in that atmosphere on a film since, really, uh, where everybody wanted it to work you know and everybody really put their heart and soul into it and i I think i've said it already once before but that's what you can feel watching the film is you know the the sheer love going into it (laughs) yeah just a lot of passion and attention to detail everyone wanted to do the best they could there wasn't there wasn't a job's worth in the place yeah not yeah yeah but uh in terms of film well i don't know i uh, you know, I can waffle on for hours about it, but um, yeah. it's either very small details about particular jobs, uh, can, yeah. you know, or, or generalizations about the film itself. And um, mm. I've always thought of it really as, as, as a sort of a showcase of what you could do. Yes, uh, yeah. On Labyrinth, you can see the compromise happened. They went, okay, a film with no humans, mm-hmm. very hard to keep people focused. Yeah. So they stick in uh, Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie, Bowie yeah. uh, and surround them with uh, goblins and characters and so on. But to me, although that's the more popular film because it's more obviously, you know, there's songs and things and yes. you know actors to identify with. I like the purity of Dark Crystal, the fact that they didn't compromise and that no. they went for something difficult. Yeah. Uh, comedy goblins in Labyrinth just heads back towards Muppet World. Yeah, just a bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah. not against it. I oh no, no, yeah, yeah, I do. But it, but you can see why what what the compromises they they made were. They looked at doctors and went, okay, look, we're gonna have to start with a couple of stars, yeah, and you know, and surround them with a, an unusual environment and all that, and all the creativity again went into the environment, and and that's fine. Yeah. But uh, I like I like the fact that it, the, the Dark Crystal is not compromised by any of that. It's no, like, no, no, it's, it's just. It's just like there, you know, like take it or leave it. This is it. <laughs> and like, but I'm, I'm just curious, have you had a chance to read um, the Jim Henson bi- biography or? 
I haven't read the biography okay. yet. No. Yeah. No, because um, like I well, I listened to the audiobook of it, and um, yeah, no, like I really enjoyed. Yeah, just like just the insight of Jim Henson, and yeah, like you said, just how nice and um, you know, of a guy he was, you know, to everyone. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he was much loved by everybody. Yeah. It was. Um, it was a shock when he died because you know he was too young. Um, I was living in Spain at the time, so I actually, I, by the time I got my invitation to the funeral, I was too late, so I didn't okay. get. The, they had a funeral in St Paul's Cathedral, and, and it ended with a Muppet choir singing. I think it was it's not easy being green or whatever, mm. and I'd love to have been there because I could have probably, <laughs> probably, but I only heard about it later. I was living, you know, this is before internet and before phone and mobile phones. I was living up a mountain in a, in a cottage, and I just didn't hear about it. But I was shocked when I heard because, you know, I'd only seen him a year or two before and okay. he seemed yeah. healthy and, yeah. you know, not, not more than a couple of years older than me. So yeah. when somebody of your own generation goes, it's always a bit, uh, it's a bit of a reminder, you know. That, yes, yeah. Um, but he was much quirkier than, you know, if you look at his early experimental films, he was kind of a... Quite kind of an eccentric hippie before before the Muppets. Well, Sesame Street, wonderful educational project, you know. Yes, yeah. But uh, his early experimental. There's a little short film about 15 minutes about time, for instance. Generally quirky, you know, really quirky kind of a thing. And he did say to me one day that Frank was the funny one in the Muppets. I mean, to me, they're both funny. But he did say Frank yeah. was the, Frank was the real comedy in there. And if you think Fozzy Bear and Miss Piggy, I suppose you can see what he means an animal and you know but um he was such a modest you know he's like a modest talent and the guy's a genius but um there yeah i think it was some of the, sometimes these things are just magic moments you know i i'm nothing against the current muppet movies being made but i don't want to watch them really it's a bit like a tribute band to me yeah i know some right. of the original puppeteers are there but without jim or frank behind the main characters yeah. however beautiful the impressions are because, you know, puppets don't die, so you can still do Kermit and you can do a perfect voice and the movements, but uh, there, was a, there was a real moment there of creative energy that, that's a different thing, you know, it's got, a, it's, it's moved on. So no disrespect to the kids that, you know, his kids who are running it and all that, but um, it's a different kind of a magic. There was something in the 80s going on that that is not quite the same as now. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting a bit mystical yeah. now, see. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was just it was just a moment. It was just oh, yeah. like wow, you know, to 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 have, and for me to have watched the Muppets for several years and then suddenly find yeah, myself working dark, with in the dark was, crystal, yeah. Wow. With, with you know. Jim, yeah. So it was quite magic for me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd been picked up by the gods, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to be famous? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and I didn't it, know what I'd done to deserve it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, like, his passing is still, yeah, like, it's still, it's kind of a shock even to this day. I think, um, like, when I was listening to the audiobook, and I think Frank Oz, like, you know, I don't think there's a day that goes by that he still thinks of Jim. Well, they were just, they were brothers, you know, I mean, in spirit, so. But it's, you know, it happens. You, you, yeah. you, you, no one's got a guaranteed 70 years uh, on this planet. But, uh, um. I'm just glad to have been there, you know, to have had the opportunity to to, to work with him. Yeah. Because um, that work is immortal, including the Muppet shows. And, uh, you know, they'll still be funny. And, and all Sesame Street and so on, but particularly the Muppet shows are just gems. They break me up now, even if I, if I catch one. 
Yeah. And actors were fighting to get on there. I mean, you know, every star show. It doesn't matter how big a star was. You know, you, you could be... Sh- you could be Sean Connery or something, and they were queuing up to be teased on the Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's saying something, you know, to to be producing a TV show that was so widely popular. Yeah, and more so in England, you see, because he wasn't big in America. The the, it, the English took him to, and he came and lived here. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where it was some, all shot. Yeah, he seemed he seemed to match this country better, you know. Mm. So maybe that's what's happened to the new ones. It's gone back to being rather American from my, from, you know, I mean, it got sold to Disney and then bought back and it's just got a slightly different style to it. There was, uh, there was something that, that whatever the English do, that irony and, and uh, dark humour and sarcasm yeah. and work, <laughs> yeah. adult jokes going over the heads of kids thing yes, yeah. that, that was kind of a magic uh, thing, you know. Mm, definitely, yeah. But, uh yeah, it was, it was so long ago that it, it's just a chapter in my, you know, I'm working on my autobiography. It, it'll definitely get a chapter. Oh, excellent, but, yeah. Uh, oh, can't wait to, to read it. Yeah. whole chapter. <laughs> it's, it was a, t- a turning point in my life, really. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, you you know, you've gone through many, like, different career paths, you know, being a street performer to puppeteering and movies and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Well, the movie's not... Yeah, we, we, I got about seven years on the movies, you know, and I worked on half a dozen. And then I went back to doing circus stuff. Mm. My students set this circus up. I'd been teaching people juggling and acrobatics and unicycle and stuff. Um, but they got together a real circus. They bought caravans and lorries and generators and things and a big top. Uh, and then they contacted me in a circus school where I was teaching and, and said, do you want to run away with a circus? So I did. <laughs> so I spent the 90s on the road with a circus yeah. doing, uh, you know, clowning and, and tent crewing and putting everything up and taking it down yeah friends that have stayed in the film business wonder what i was doing and i go I'd, i had seven good years out of it that's it but i didn't really want to go on to doing horror movies a lot of the creature feature stuff was doing monsters and things and although i, I played bad guys like, like jabber and, and the ritual master and so on i didn't really want to get into horror movies and a lot of the prosthetic work and you know that kind of stuff just didn't appeal to me. Okay, yeah. I'm not saying they were queuing up and asking me to do the job and me going no. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, no, no, I'm not. No. Yeah, I wasn't being offered the work, but I wasn't no. hustling to get into that niche. Okay. You know, yeah, because I had friends and contacts, and I didn't run and go that way really. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But it does sound as though yeah. I, <laughs> I think the movie yeah. business let me go rather than <laughs> the other way around. Some of it yeah. was the tax breaks. Some of it was Mrs. Thatcher changed the tax breaks for filming. And film money, uh, it just moves. Um, you know, at that point, everyone was filming in England. Everyone, George, uh, George Lucas, Kubrick, mm. everyone was filming it. And yeah. then suddenly they're filming in Spain and Israel and often New Zealand and stuff. And yeah. it's just, you know, the money goes where it, the labour is cheap as well as the talent. Yeah, and uh, I just got lucky. That was the seven years where British film business was really working well yeah. and doing some yeah. good stuff. And I, I guess, like, especially, like, now with, you know, the whole Star Wars movies that, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going back to shoot it all in the, um, in the UK. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really, yeah, interesting that it's sort of gone full circle, you know. Um, well, yeah. it's, um, British Union, well, British art, uh, talent is well respected. British unions, I suspect, are a little bit softer than American unions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really know why, why they chose to come and film it back here. Maybe... For closure, maybe going back to trying to do it the way it was originally done, you know. Yes, yeah. Um, the studios aren't there. Elstree Studio isn't there anymore, so you know, okay. they can't. They can't exactly match it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but uh, there must have been a reason. It's almost certainly a financial reason, though, rather than uh, a, a nostalgia. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this one because they they have promised to try and, you know, cap- recapture that energy of, yeah, of those original films. Definitely, yeah. And uh, I, I wish them well, whereas I haven't really looked through the three CGI films. Uh, you know, mm. I've stumbled through two of them and fast forwarded through the third you know i mean I'm, yes, I'm, yeah. they haven't really grabbed me that's all no uh, i'm not a star wars fan so i can't watch them dedicated if, I, if i'm not interested i'm not interested and it's like that i'd prefer to watch the original trilogy again yeah because i sit down and watch that and i still enjoy it yeah definitely yeah. so yeah. that's that's you know um i disappoint fans sometimes by not being quite as keen as them no but you, know, you like what you like don't you? yeah not, yeah yeah uh, i mean like for myself like I, I was probably the, I was at the right age with the prequels. I mean, being born in 87, so Phantom Menace came out 12 years old. So it's like, I was probably the right kind of, you know, audience at the time. And I mean, growing yeah. up, like I, like I appreciate it for what it is, but um, yeah, it's still, it still lacks that, that magic, I guess the, um, that the original trilogy um, had. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I do suspect it's partly uh, generational because, because I mean, I, I I grew up without a TV till I was fourteen, for instance. So mm. um, my whole media thing is you know is, is a different uh, set. I think if you grew up watching uh, CGI graphics and computer games, yes, yeah, then your eye is used to that, and you can also watch a film like it, and you and your brain would see it as the same sort of thing. Mm. Whereas CGI jars me because I don't play computer games, yeah, and I can't help but see that graphic. Because I met one kid that that likes the CGI films and is a computer game person. And he said, you know, watching on Blu-ray the original films, he, to him, Jabba looks like a rubbery old puppet now. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he can see the seams, you know what I mean? He, can, uh, he doesn't like that quality. No. That's like me watching 1930s movies with stop-frame animation, you know, which freaked people out back then, the original King Kong yeah, and yeah. things. And now looks a bit cheap and tacky to us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so that's what I'm saying. It depends depends on your eye um, yeah. what fools you and what looks a bit old-fashioned um, or newfangled to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, which is why I don't criticise it. I, uh, it's got its audience, but... Um, yeah, it does, yeah. It's not my audience, that's all. No. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not really part of that. But I will be watching this seventh one because oh, yeah, I, I like yeah. the idea that they're going to try and do yeah, the best yeah. of all of it. Yes, yeah. And, and and anyway, just to see Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. Yeah, and, and Harrison Ford, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to see them, however they use them, whether they're grandparents or whatever, yeah. I don't care how they use them, it's all terribly secret. Yeah. But just, you know, it's just going to be a fun one. I think part of the problem with the, the latest trilogy was, because they didn't have any of the original actors, because you were no. doing a prequel. Yes, yeah. So they they not only didn't have any of the original actors, they also don't have the the, the techniques the same. No. So it's a different set of movies, really. I mean, you know, yeah, this one's got that continuity of, of, of you know. Yeah, and I uh, think, and I think with the prequels, um, because I guess as fans, we all knew, you know, what had to happen, you know, and it kind of to be yeah. Darth Vader and and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it's like we sort of knew way in advance of you know, you know, all these things have to happen. Whereas now with this new trilogy, because it's going forward. You know, yeah. we have no idea what's going to happen. You know, so well, that, that, that's that's no, part of excitement. That's yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, there aren't many movies when they do a sequel. There aren't many with prequels, are there? That that in itself is a kind of a strange idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nearly every time you get the story going on. 
uh, into the future. So it was, you know, was, he challenged himself, George, with that set of uh, <laughs> options. Yeah. But I mean, when we were making it, we were told that there were nine films planned. We were doing the middle three and there were going to be three prequels and three sequels. And we immediately said at the time, well, how do you do younger versions of the actors and so on and so on? Um, but that was that grand scheme was always there. Yeah, the nine uh, movies. As, yeah. as I understood it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... He must have thought it about it and known what the problems with it were going to be, and so mm. on. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even want to do Jabra as a, as a real puppet, you know. I mean, if the computer graphics were good enough back then, he would have done it as a computer graphic. Yeah. 1982, it simply wasn't possible. No. So, he, yeah. I mean, I, I, this is only gossip, but I mean, he, you know, I'm told he doesn't really like the three dimensional Jabra. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because it isn't quite what he visualized. Yes, he yeah. wanted it to be able to move around and, and you know, he just sits there. To me, Jabba not moving anywhere is sort of fits the character. It does. So, you know, you do slide, wonder how he gets yeah. from place to place. Yeah. But he couldn't do the slithery sliding about, you know, and uh, I just think he gets carried from place to place by, yeah. by a large, <laughs> bunch of servants. <laughs> yeah. That would uh, suit him better. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for, um, yeah, um, for the opportunity to be able to chat to you about the Dark Crystal. Oh, no worries, no worries. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! Well, that's the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Special thanks to Ben Campbell from Alan Smeeby Cinema and Toby Philpot. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email us at trialbystonepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash trialbystonepodcast or on Twitter at trialbystonepod. If you really enjoyed the show and think that others would like it too, we'd love for you to write a review on iTunes and um, get, so, get some more reviews to, uh, to spread the word about the Trial by Stone podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show and come back next month for more Trial by Stone.